0: are you ready for our Bible lesson this morning? Yeah. Hallelujah. I'm so excited. And it takes them three to four years to coerce me into speaking. <laughs> and then when I do, it's so exciting when I get to studying and preparing. And, and then it takes all my strengths to come out here before you because, see, I'm one that likes to sit in the background and uh, pray for you and hold your arms up and but not stand in front of you. So here we go. Are you ready? Hallelujah. John 3.16 could possibly be the most well-known verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life everlasting life. Glory to God. But have we ever stopped to think about what everlasting life and eternal life really means? Eternal life means life without end. So that means we will never end and we will go on forever and ever. We will never end and we will go on forever and ever. But where will we go when we leave this earth? The Word of God gives us two places that we can go when we leave this earth. To heaven to dwell with God for all eternity, forever. Or to hell where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And any logical person would want to choose heaven. But yet there are so many who are not wise and not smart Yet many live their lives as if they really don't care. Our life is here to be used, to prepare for there. Our life here is to be used to prepare for there. We can use our time wisely by putting it into the will of God. We should never behave as if time is a commodity that continues to multiply in our lives. It is, in fact, just the opposite. Every moment we use is one that we never get back again. So we've got to choose to use our time wisely. It's so important. Many people put off being in the right relationship with God until another time. Usually it's because they want to do things that they know God would be disapproving of. So they think they will choose their own time. Well, I'm here to tell you today we're running out of time. Have you looked around you? Have you had the news on? I can only take it in small, small doses. And then I have to turn it off and pray in the Holy Ghost for Lord knows how long to get all of that out of me. But if you just open your eyes and look around you, time is like this. Years ago, I would have a, uh, when I did a certain sermon on uh, the end time, I had a, a sand hourglass. clock, an hourglass, and I turned it up when I'd start, and the sand would start running through the hourglass, and it would run through the neck, but right towards the end, when the hourglass was emptying, and it was running out of time, out of sand, it began to speed up, right. and it would speed up and go faster as it went through the neck of that hourglass, That's where we are, folks. We're almost at the end of of this age. And I'm telling you, it's exciting because we get to see the appearing of Jesus and the catching away of the church. And that's us. We are his loved ones. We are his church. Hallelujah. But how many truly live for eternity rather than for the moment? Not many, I think. We often live as if there is no tomorrow, and yet tomorrow always comes. So we have to use the day to represent God well and to prepare to live in His presence forever. Our entrance into heaven is not purchased with good works, but by the blood of the Lamb. And we receive rewards to be given to us in heaven based upon our choices and our works while here on the earth. That's why Jesus said in Revelation 22:12 in the amplified Behold I am coming soon and I bring my wages and rewards with me to repay and render to each one just what his own action and his own works merit. If we take this one scripture seriously and at face value we would be foolish if we didn't live our lives As an investment towards our future. Psalms 119.19 says in the Amplified. I am a stranger and a temporary resident on earth. This is not my home. I'm just passing through. Hallelujah. I can hardly wait to see what my mansion looks like in heaven. I get so distressed trying to make pretty things happen here. At the ministry this week, three days I worked on landscaping, and I get so distressed because a year ago I put new beautiful shrubs in all around the buildings, just cabbages and pansies and made it so pretty. And walking around there and looking at all those old dead shrubs after one year and how many areas need to be replenished, I get stressed out because I just can't buy enough of them to make it pretty. I went to Lowe's four times. on Thursday and Friday, Friday, four trips, filling my truck up with pansies and the back seat and the floor and the front seat of my car four trips. And it still isn't even enough to make it look pretty. So I can't imagine what heaven's going to look like. I won't have to struggle up there anymore to make something look nice and look pretty. Hallelujah. The struggle will be over. But I think I've, I'm all right. I'm 72 years old. By the time I hit 73 next year, I will not do this again. Do you hear me? I'm going to hire somebody and tell them what I want and have them come do it for me. I'm, I've retired from that job. All right. All right. Hallelujah. Glory to God. We all want and need to know that there's something better waiting for us. It gives us the faith to endure the difficulties we have experienced while here on the earth. The early believers had a strong faith that Jesus was coming soon. And that was one of the reasons they wanted to make sure their time was used and it was truly important and had lasting value. Our time has to have lasting value. The reminder that Jesus was coming soon also helped them make good choices regarding their behavior. For example, Paul instructed the people to live unselfishly, reminding them that the Lord was coming soon. Philippians 4 Verse 5 and the Amplified says, Let all men know and perceive and recognize your unselfishness, your forbearing spirit, for the Lord is near. He is coming soon. I think we all know that if we believe Jesus would return one week from today, we would make a lot of changes in our lives very quickly. Why not live as if he might come? Because no man knows the day or the hour. But according to Scripture, the generation that's alive to see Israel become a nation again will be that generation that will not miss out. They will be here to see the appearing of Jesus and the catching away of the church. That's me. I was born in 1948. I'm going to be a part of that rapture church. Hallelujah. 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 Ephesians 5:15 says, "Look carefully then how you walk, Live purposely and worthily and accurately, not as the unwise and witless, but as wise, sensible, intelligent people. So we don't serve God for a reward. we serve him because we love him. We serve him because we're passionate about him. We serve him because he's our Lord, our Savior, our master. He's everything to us. I heard a story years ago, and I want to relate it to you. It's kind of funny. It's eye-opening, and it's enlightening. There was a man being tailgated by a stressed-out woman on a busy boulevard. Suddenly, the light turned yellow just in front of him, and he did the right thing by stopping at the crosswalk, even though he could have beaten the red light, by accelerating, getting through the yellow light. The tailgating woman was furious, honked her horn, screaming in frustration. She missed her chance to get through the intersection, dropping her purse into the floor, which dumped all of her makeup out and her cell phone. As she was still in mid rant she heard a tap on her window and looked up into the face of a police officer. The police officer ordered her to exit the car with her hands up. He took her to the police station where she was searched, fingerprinted, photographed, and placed in a holding cell. After a couple of hours, a policeman approached the cell and opened the door, and he escorted her back to the booking desk, where the arresting officer was waiting with her personal effects. He said, I'm very sorry for the mistake. You see, I pulled up behind your car while you were blowing your horn, giving hand gestures, honking your horn at the guy in front of you, and curse in a blue streak. I noticed the What Would Jesus Do bumper sticker. The Choose Life license plate holder. The Follow Me to Sunday School bumper sticker. And the chrome plated Christian fish emblem on the trunk. Naturally, I assumed it was a stolen car. Christian beliefs must be lived out in our daily life in front of people at home behind closed doors for them to be effective in us building the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. Ecclesiastes 3.11, the Amplified says, he also has planted eternity in men's hearts and minds, a divinely implanted sense of purpose working through the ages which nothing under the sun but God alone can satisfy. God created man with a free will. And his desire was and still is that man would use that free will to choose his will. I believe that's one of the greatest gifts that God has given man is our choice and our free will so that we can serve him if we want to, if we don't want to. Have you ever wondered where in Scripture it says that when uh, after the catching away of the church we're in heaven for seven years, then Jesus comes back with all of us and we rule and reign on this earth as it is for set for one thousand years, and there are people born and all of that during that time? And have you ever wondered what the Scripture? and Satan is put into the pit and in hell for that thousand year reign, but so Satan's released for a season. All the people that are born during that thousand year reign, their, their free will, all they've known is the goodness of God, but they have a choice. They have a will. So Satan is going to be released for a season for them to be tempted to see if they will serve God of their own free will. Oh, think about that. That gives me goosebumps. Right now, we get to choose of our own free will. If we will bow our knee and make him just not your Savior, but your Lord. Lord means over your whole life, every decision you make, every choice you make, everything you do, he's your Lord. You do nothing without him telling you and guiding you and leading you and you hearing his voice. Oh, my goodness. God's so good. Psalms 40 verse 8 says, I delight to do your will, O God. Yes, your law is within my heart. Each day can count if we learn to live it on purpose. Rather than passively drifting through the day, allowing the wind of circumstances and distractions to make our choices for us. We cannot always choose our circumstances, but we can choose how we will respond to them. When we use our freedom to choose to do the will of God, he is honored and glorified. When we choose to do God's will, our intent is right. But we still need help following through and doing what he has chosen for us to do. It is God's grace that provides the help by the Holy Spirit. David said that he was delighted to do God's will. And most of us could say the same thing. Jesus told us in Matthew 6, 33, But seek, aim, and strive after, first of all, His kingdom and His righteousness and His way of doing and being right. And then all these things taken together will be added and given to you besides. The Amplified, if you'll put all that up on the screen for me, please. That's just my introduction. Now, this is what I want to share with you. But seek, look carefully then how you walk. Ephesians 5, 15 through 17. Live purposely and worthily and accurately, not as the unwise and witless, but as wise, sensible, and intelligent people. That word carefully means in a way that deliberately avoids harm or errors, cautiously looking about, making the very most of the time, buying up each opportunity because the days are evil. The Passion Translation says, "For we are living in evil times, and you know we are." Have you ever seen destruction like you've seen since March, where these uh, terrorist groups, BLM, uh, Black Lives Matter (BLM) and all these Antifa group, all of them, going into the cities and burning and looting and... And destroying, these are evil times, and you haven't seen anything yet. We haven't seen anything yet. You wait till the election. If a certain party wins, I'm telling you, you're gonna see fires and buildings and cities burned and destroyed like we've never witnessed in this United States of America. So you just just watch, just watch for it at the election. We're gonna see stuff we've never seen before. Evil times. We are living in evil times. In these verses, three verses, God tells us. Do you have it up on the screen? I wanted all of it. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. All of them. To be careful about our time and choices. To be on purpose, person. To live a life worth living. To really think about what we are choosing to do and make wise decisions. To make the most of our time. To not let opportunities pass us by. Not to be passive, vague, thoughtless, and foolish. And to know the will of God and to grasp it firmly. So I want to cover a few of these. I won't get into all of them, but just a couple of them. To be careful about our time and choices. Psalms 39, 4. Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my na- days are numbered, how fleeting my life is. James four fourteen says, Whereas you know not what shall be on tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth a little time and then vanishes away. Your life is like that. That's your life. A little vapor. A little vapor. That's your life, Justin. That's my life. That's your life, Cassie. Our life is like that. It's like a vapor. It's just a moment. Oh, my goodness. So your life is yours, and you can take charge of it. Your time is yours, and you can put it into God's will. Your schedule is yours. If you don't like it, remember that you made it, and you're the only one who can change it. God gives us grace to live one day at a time. He tells us not to worry about tomorrow and trust him for each day as it comes. Although we are to live life one day at a time, it's still prudent to have a plan for the future. If we have goals that we want to reach, it will help to organize each day and will enable us to achieve those goals. You have to make each day count for something. Getting each day started right is essential. The only way to get your day started right is to start it with God. Not end it. Start it with God. We're more likely to be satisfied with the day's outcome if we get it started right. Talk to God. Ask for his help and guidance in all you do that day. Submit your day to him for his direction. Take in God's word in some form through either studying or reading, listening or watching. Whether it's one verse of scripture or an entire chapter in the Bible, it will help you and strengthen you and get your day off to the right start. Psalms 5.3 and the Amplified says, In the morning you hear my voice, O Lord. In the morning, I prepare my sacrifice for you and watch and wait for you to speak to my heart. Don't you love that scripture? When we go to God first before other things, it's a way of honoring him and saying with our actions, apart from you, I can do nothing. Roll your works upon the Lord, commit and trust them wholly to him. He will cause your thoughts to become agreeable to his will and so Shall your plans be established and succeed? Each day is different and presents different responsibilities and challenges, so we get to plan each one accordingly. I want to use my time so that it will bear great fruit, and I refuse to waste my life. Part of the problem we all face today is that most of us are simply trying to do too many things, and too much of anything, even a good thing, usually becomes a bad thing. We should only do what we can do peacefully. And when peace leaves, we need to redirect and do whatever is necessary to get our peace back. That's one of the key things I've learned in my life. If peace is not present, back up. Go back to where peace was present in your life. God never intended his people to live under excessive stress and pressure. Life is to be thoroughly enjoyed, and that is impossible if we continuously feel pressured by an excessive schedule that causes us to rush frantically throughout the day. So guard your peace at all costs. Guard your peace at all costs. Now, being number two, being an on-purpose person. Jesus is the best example of an on-purpose person. He came for a purpose, and he purposed to fulfill his purpose. Just look at the example in the book of Luke. Luke four forty-two and 43. And when daybreak came, he left Peter's house and went to an isolated place. And the people looked and hunted for him until they came up to him and tried to prevent him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the gospel of the kingdom of God to other cities and towns also, For I was sent for this purpose. Jesus had been visiting and preaching in Capernaum, and it was time for him to go into another place. But the people tried to prevent him from fulfilling his purpose. His response informed them that he had to stick to his purpose. Well-meaning people who care about us are often used to prevent us from fulfilling our purpose. Their plans are based on what would be best for them, but rarely is that in accord with God's plan. Jesus came to teach the gospel, pay for our sins through his suffering, his death, to destroy the devil's work and give us an example to live by, an example of serving and fulfilling the law and a host of other things. Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness being tempted of the devil who was trying to move Jesus away from his divine purpose. Thankfully, Jesus was determined to do the will of God. At another time, Peter tried to prevent Jesus' purpose by telling him that he must go to Jerusalem to suffer at the hands of the Jews. Jesus wasted no time in confronting Peter and telling him he was a hindrance and a snare. Jesus then said, get behind me, Satan. Wow, talk about dealing with temptation. Jesus knew that Satan was using Peter to get him out of the will of God and away from his purpose. And he was determined that that would not happen. Most people have no idea the price they will pay if you live to please people instead of living to please God. It is very clear in scripture that we must determine whether we will choose to please God or choose to please people. If we make the right choice now, we will avoid living with regrets later in our life. The men who followed Jesus all had careers and were busy. But when Jesus said, follow me, they immediately left what they were doing and followed him. What if they had not followed their hearts, but instead had leaned to their own reasoning? They could have missed out on being part of the greatest miracle team in the world. Don't you miss, I don't want you to miss, the moment of your miracle. My parents didn't want us to leave Shreveport, Louisiana when we moved over to work with Brother Kenneth Copeland. I remember looking in my side mirror and turning around and seeing my dad standing in the driveway crying. We were taking his grandchildren away from him. Just think if we had stayed in the tree for, what we would have missed out on, what we would have missed out on. He loved you, Jerry Ann. <laughs> that grandpa loved you. Do you know what? <laughs> he always told her, I'm just a phone call away. I'm right here for you. She was the apple of his eye because she was the first one. You know, the first grandbabies are always kind of extra special. And she was kind of extra special. Uh, Kai, sorry, darling. Sorry, Bryn. You're all special. But what makes them special is they were number one. And number two special. Number three special. Number four special. Number five special. Number six is special. Number seven special. You're special, Kai. But just think what we would have missed out on. If we'd have stayed there and not followed what God had for us. Do you know where you're supposed to be? Then when you're in the right place, peace follows. Peace is there. You always know you're in the right place when peace is there. Yes. Hebrews eleven eight. Urged on by faith Abraham when he was called, obeyed, and went forth to a place. Which he was destined to receive as an inheritance. And he went although he did not know or trouble his mind about where he was going. Living by faith requires us to take a step without always knowing positively what will happen. I don't believe a loving God would have me do something all my life and despise what I was doing, what I'm doing. Some people may pursue careers simply because they pay big money. And yet they are miserable all of their lives. May I suggest to you that money isn't as important as joy and peace. Do something that you enjoy with your life. If you don't have joy in doing what you're doing, then you need to seek God and start finding out where he wants you. You have to pursue peace and things that cause you to enjoy life. The definition of passionate means... To be compelled to do a thing by strong, intense feeling. To have passion means we must enjoy what we do. I want to do what I'm doing. I love it and cannot imagine doing anything else. So I suggest that you ask yourself what you love and what you enjoy and what makes you feel alive. It isn't easy to give your life to anything unless you're passionate about it. You have to be passionate about it. Now, to live a life worth living, number three. Amplified 515 says, look carefully then how you walk. Live purposely and worthily and accurately, not as the unwise and witless, but as wise, sensible, intelligent people. Is that up on the board for you to look at? To be careful means to give watchful attention to, to supervise and be responsible for. Are you supervising yourself? If you don't, you will make many foolish mistakes in life. To be careful, it means to be wise and to choose now what will make you happy with later in life. The Greek word that we now translate as to be careful was translated initially as walk circumspectfully. Circumspect means to consider all circumstances. Being alert, careful, being cautious, being conservative, being considerate, gingerly, being guarded, being heedful, being safe, and wary. That word means to look all around, like one who is walking in a very dangerous place. This person, as he walks, is continuously observing where he puts his feet next. You're watching you're cautious. And when I was thinking on that, like walking in a landmine where there's explosives concealed, hidden underground and on top of the ground. I have a little Lady Diana doll and the outfit she has on, I started to bring it, but you might've thought I was silly. So I didn't bring it, but she has on the outfit that she wore. I think it was Rwanda where she went, where the landmines were. And that was her little outfit. But this for us to live Where we watch everywhere we put our foot so we're not making any mistakes. It's like walking in a landmine. You want to make sure you don't step on something or do something that's going to explode and destroy you. So you're watching, you're looking, your steps, you're taking cautious, careful steps, every choice you make, you've prayed about it. Should I go there? No, I'm supposed to go here. Should I go there? No, now you're supposed to do this. Should I go here? No, you're supposed to turn around and go back this way. You're cautiously looking and seeking God so that every step you take, you're in the right place at the right time. Hallelujah. Each decision we make represents a step that we take in our walk with God. We should make them very carefully, considering what the outcome may be. We are building a life and want to be cautious so that we will like living the life we have built in the end. Oh, I want to say that again. That's something worth writing down. We are building a life and want to be cautious so that we will like living the life we have built in the end. Did you get it? Our lives are built on the foundation of Jesus and his word. There's no real life without him. But after receiving Jesus, oh, now I want you to write this down. After receiving Jesus, we choose how we build and the quality of what we use to build with. Now, this exploded in me a night or two ago. Oh. After receiving Jesus, we choose how we build and the quality of what we use to build with. What kind of materials are you building with? Yesterday, Carla and I went and met Jerry for lunch and she was telling me a story that in Kenya, all of their, they had to rebuild their kitchen cabinets because they were just crumbling and falling apart. They came from China, and they were made pressed together sawdust, she said. Sawdust. Am I telling what you said? Sawdust that had been compressed and pushed together and glued. So the cabinets just began to crumble apart. So... We choose how we build and the quality, that wasn't quality, of what we use to build with. And this is what I got so excited about the other night. It reminded me of the story of the three little pigs. Do you remember that story when you were a kid, the story of the three little pigs when you were a child? The three little pigs built three houses, all of a different material. A big fat wolf blows down the first two pig's houses, one made of straw and another made of sticks. But the big bad wolf is unable to blow down and destroy the third little pig's house. Why? Because it was made of bricks. It takes a lot longer and a lot harder, a lot hard work to build a house of bricks. Do you remember the story? How the two little pigs would stand outside the third little pig's house and dance and chant and say, We're finished building our house. Come out and play. And he would taunt and laugh and make fun of the pig that was still putting his house together by building a house out of bricks. But the day came. The big bad wolf came and he huffed and he puffed. And he huffed and he puffed. And he blew the house down of the house made of straw. So what did the little pig do? He ran to the house of the pig's house that had been made out of bricks. So the day came, the big bad wolf went to the house that had been made out of sticks. And he huffed and he puffed and he huffed and he puffed. And he blew that house down. What did that little pig do? He ran to that third little pig's house that was made out of bricks. And there they were both safe in the house made out of bricks. The big bad wolf came and he huffed and he puffed and he huffed and he puffed. And he huffed and he puffed. And he huffed and he puffed. And he blew and he blew and he blew and he blew and he he huffed and he puffed and he huffed and he puffed and puffed and he huffed. And he couldn't blow the house down that was made out of bricks. So what is your house being built out of? What is your house being built out of? Do you know, it also reminded me, Jerry with his stroke. We could accept the doctors and professionals' opinions, or we could stand on God's word and believe by faith that He was healed and restored and made whole. That big bad wolf was at my door. He was huffing and a puffing, and huffing and puffing. And Ann in that room—I never forget. For so many days, I think two or three days, he can only say one word, and that word was yes. One word, yes. And the professionals met with me and said, Mrs. Savell, you've got to put him in a rehab center. He's got to learn to walk. He's got to learn to talk. He's got to learn to dress himself. He couldn't move his arm. His shoulder was drooped down. He had no movement in this arm, no movement in this leg. So I was making the decision what to do. And I'll never forget. I was, I was telling Natasha last week. That it was like there was a bubble that I stepped into. And it was the gift of faith. And I was in a bubble. And I knew that it was going to turn out all right. Oh, my house was built with bricks. My house was built on the rock. I had God's word on the inside of me. And I appreciated their professional opinion, but I had a greater word from my God, that my God would restore and heal my husband. I'll never forget every few hours they're coming in, asking him the same questions over and over and over, which is what they do. Can you tell me what year it is? Who's the president? This and that. You know, they have all these same questions. I'll never forget, Jerry, was it on like the second or third day? He couldn't answer any of those questions. He'd just say yes. She got up in his face. She climbed up on the edge of that bed and she got, I'm going to do it with you, Bill. She got right up in his face. And when they said, do you know your family? She said, daddy, I'm your firstborn. What did he say to you? Jerry, Jerry Ann Obama. <laughs> Jerry Ann. Jerry Ann Obama. That's what he said. Because they ask him every hour who is the president? Who is the president? Who is the president? And she said, Daddy, you know me. I'm your firstborn. I love that story. I love that story. It started. I mean, she her faith, she her house is built of bricks. And her faith got in the face. that big bad wolf and told that big bad wolf to let her daddy go. I'm telling you. And from that moment, we began to see little by little by little a change. But the big bad wolf came blowing at our door. And you know the story. We brought him home. Oh my goodness. This is another funny one. I know you've heard it, but can I tell it again? <laughs> We're in the hospital, and all he could say was yes, yes, yes. That's the only word he could say. All say, no. only say no. Well, this is what I remember. Rodney then said, while he's saying yes, Rodney said, Well, Dad, you said, can I have your such and such Corvette? And that's the first time he said a different word, and it was no. <laughs> no. And Rodney said, well, he's well now. He's good. We we can all go home. He's on his way to recovery. So that was the second word he ever said was no. Oh, my goodness. What a God we serve. That reminds me of a scripture in Matthew 7. For whosoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you to whom he is like. Whosoever hears these words of mine and acts upon them will be like a sensible, prudent, practical man who built his house upon the rock. Hallelujah. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a stupid, foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, but beat against the house, and it fell, and great and complete was the fall of it. Did you hear that? Great and complete was the fall of it. Luke 6, 48 and 49 says this in the Amplified. He is like a man building a house. He dug and went down deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the torrent broke against the house and could not shake it or move it because it had been securely built and founded on a rock. But he who merely hears and does not practice doing my words It's like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation against which the torrent burst and immediately it collapsed and fell. And the breaking and ruin of that house was great. I want you to notice that the same storm hit both houses. When the storms of life come, what foundation have you built on? What foundation have you built on? We are building a life. So we will like living the life that we have built. The Lord showed Jerry and I this scripture many years ago in Mark 4. And he, Jesus, said, where shall we compare the kingdom of God? Or with what comparison shall we compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when it is sown in the earth, is less than all the seeds that is in the earth. But when it is sown, it groweth up and becomes greater than all herbs and shooteth out great branches so that the fowl of the air may lodge under the shadow of it. The Amplified says, puts out large branches so that the birds of the air are able to make nests and have homes and dwell in its shade. The Lord showed us in that scripture, our seed, our faith was like the seed of a mustard grain. But it would grow to be so big that the fowl of the air could come and lodge under the shadow of it. Our faith would grow to such a level we would be able to take care of ourselves, but all that dwell within our shadow. When we moved to Fort Worth years ago to go to work with Brother Copeland and Jerry would leave and be gone for weeks, we didn't have enough money for me to have bread and milk for the kids He would go down Seminary Drive and find Coke bottles that had been thrown out on the side of the road and go turn them in for two cents apiece then. Later it got to five cents apiece. But he would gather up enough Coke bottles to give me enough money to go buy groceries so I could feed the girls while he was gone for two or three weeks. So do you think getting that scripture... My faith is like the little, it's the smallest seed there is. It's a mustard seed. That my little faith like that could grow to such a level that even the birds of the air could come and lodge under the shadow of it. Have you ever seen a grain of mustard seed? How tiny it is. Just this past week and the week before, I've had the ability, just me. To help buy a home for somebody. I bought a car for somebody. I gave somebody the money for the closing. They didn't have the 5000 to close the house. On a house. That was all in a week's time. Two weeks time. Gave somebody 25000 30000 for a house. Just last week. Bought a car for somebody. Uh, just me. Someone who was... Finding Coke bottles yes. on the side of the road to feed my daughter Jerry Ann spaghettios. Spaghetti o sandwiches. I don't know if they're still her favorite. White bread and spaghetti sandwiches. Have y'all ever eaten that? Yes. Thank goodness. <laughs> Thank goodness. But think about it. Oh I can pinch myself. <laughs> I could pinch myself. That God could take that. That little seed. That little mustard seed. And it could grow up. But it was from Revelation when Jerry and I didn't have a home. Didn't have furniture in the home. But that one day, we would look at each other and say, one day. One day. One day. One day. One day. day. Our faith will be so big. (laughs) One day. One day. One day day. they'll come lodge under the shadow of our tree. Glory to God. And it did. It has. It's grown up. It's grown up. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Blessed, happy, fortunate to be envied are the undefiled, the upright, truly sincere, and blameless in the way that is revealed by God, who walk in order their conversation in the laws of the Lord. The whole of God's revealed will, a blessed life, comes from following God and his ways. The apostle Matthew says, and speaks of a narrow road and a wide road. He indicates that the wide road is easy to walk, and it leads to every kind of misery. On the wide road, you'll always have plenty of company, And you can do whatever you feel like doing with no concern for the future or other people. But the end result is destruction. But the narrow path is the one that leads to having a truly successful life. Matthew says there are relatively few who find it. And it's more difficult to travel. And it's often a lonely path. The person who intends to follow God will make some decisions that won't be understood by everyone he knows. But he will also reap an abundant harvest of joy and fulfillment in life if he stays on that narrow road. At the end of my life here on earth, I want to hear God say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy, the delight, and the blessedness of the Lord. Seizing the day is all about making the best choices. That are possible each day of your life. What do you have today is a result of choices made in the past. And what you have in the future will be the result of the choices you make now. One thing you don't want to do is get up in the morning and realize you pretty much wasted yesterday and waste today. Feeling guilty about your poor choices of yesterday. Worrying does not take up tomorrow's troubles. It takes away today's peace. You want me to say that again? Worrying does not take away tomorrow's troubles. It takes away today's peace. Tomorrow might be the most dangerous word I know because it often describes procrastination. Many And I use that word, I'm starting on my diet Monday. I'm the biggest diet procrastinator you know. Monday comes, I don't want to diet. I like myself fat and fluffy, you know. (laughs) Because I want to eat and enjoy my food. I told Jerry, I'm 72. Can't I enjoy my food? So, procrastination. I text my daughter all the time. I'm starting my diet today. She texts me Tuesday, mother, is it over? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Tomorrow will be, might be the most dangerous word I know because it often describes that procrastination. There's a very interesting account in the Bible about a plague of frogs that came to Egypt because of Pharaoh's disobedience. Frogs were absolutely everywhere, in people's houses, in their beds, in their ovens. They could find no place of refuge because the frogs had taken over all of their home. Here's my frog. Frogs had taken over everything. Frogs had taken over the house, the beds, the ovens. They could find no place of refuge. Frogs in the beds, frogs in the ovens. That's a song. Frogs in their hair. Frogs where they stepped and squashed frogs. Frogs everywhere. Just imagine taking a step everywhere you stepped, you stepped and squashed a frog. Pharaoh called for Moses and said that he would obey God if he removed the frogs. Moses then asked him when he wanted him to pray and asked the Lord to deliver them from the frogs. And Pharaoh said, tomorrow, tomorrow, give me one more night with these frogs. I found this story to be amazing. Who in their right mind would have the situation and decide to spend one more night with the frogs? They're in your bed when you sleep. They're climbing all over you. You have to pull the covers over you, but somehow they manage to get under the covers and they're crawling between your legs and on your toes and in your hair. You go to get out of bed and you step on half a dozen of them. Frogs were everywhere. The woman goes to cook the meal and she can't even cook because she has to pull frogs out of the out of the dough bowl. Frogs everywhere if we let the frogs represent things in our life that we need to deal with or take care of and think how we tend to put it off until another time. We want to keep our misery. We want to keep our guilty conscience. We want to keep our unsuccessful life. We keep our frustrations and many other things. But if we could be free, we would immediately obey God. No, we keep our addiction frog. We keep our unforgiveness frog. We keep our anger frog. We want one more night with it. We keep our self pity frog. We keep our hatred frog. We keep our jealousy frog. It's mine. You can't have it. We keep our greed frog. Give me one more night with that greed frog. We keep our resentment frog. You hurt me. I'm not forgiving you. I'm holding on to that. You can't do anything to cause me to forgive you. You hurt me so deep. I'm holding on to my frog. Give me one more night with that offense. Give me one more night with worry. Give me one more night with that alcohol. Oh, I've just got to have one more drink. I know it's wrong. I know I can't function. I know I can't take care of my family. But just one more night with that drink. Let me have one more drink. Keeping my frog. You can't have my frog. One more night with it. One more night with gambling. One more night. I've got to have my gambling. have my gambling. One more night with that pornography. Nobody knows. Nobody sees. I've got to have one more night with it. It's mine. You can't take it away from me. One more night with the frog. Just give me one more night. The Lord wants us free. He wants us delivered. He wants us to say, take the frog now. I don't want it anymore don't want that frog. Take it. I don't want it. So how big is our God? How big is our God? He can take all of that. He can take, how big do you see God? Do you see God like this? A little bitty God. He's not big enough to take my alcoholism. He's not big enough to take my gambling. He's not big enough to take my worry. He's not big enough to take the offense. Just a little bitty God. How do you see him? Do you see him with these little bitty glasses? God, you can't do it, God. You're too little. But he wants to take your frogs from you. He wants you not to spend another night with those frogs. Or can you see God like this? This is the God I serve. I see God like this. He's a big God. He can do it. He can take all of the frogs. You may have more than one frog. You may have two or three frogs. Your whole house may be full of frogs. God can take them all. He's that big. He's that big. This morning, like I said, at 5 o'clock in my closet, I was doing this. How big do you see God? Okay, come open. Do you see God this size? Can God be that size in your life? Or can you see God this big in your life? Can God be that big in your life? That big in your life? Or do you see God like this? He wants to take all your frogs this morning. He wants to get rid of all of your frogs. So let's stand up. If you have some frogs in your life you want rid of this morning, then I want you to make your way up to the front. And the leaders in the church are going to come into agreement with you. And we're going to pray over you. Let's get rid of these frogs. We don't want this anymore in our lives. Come up here. If you have frogs you want to get rid of, come up to the front. And we're going to pray over you. We're going to believe with you. And you're going to get rid of those frogs today. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We praise you, Father.